0: It's time for Moment of Truth with David
1: Moses. and Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Welcome to the show. My first guest this morning is Edmonton playwright Matt McKenzie, who is the writer, director, and artistic producer of Punctuate Theatre, as well as the founder and artistic associate with Pyretic Productions. Yeah. And uh, that's a mouthful right there. (laughs) So Matt also (laughs) happens to be Métis, Mm -hmm. and uh, his latest play, The Particulars, is now on at Theatre Centre, located at 1115 Queen Street West in Toronto, and runs until October 26th. Matt, welcome back to the show.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me back, David.
1: So listen, uh, The Particulars sounds like a particularly interesting production.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's uh it's been a lot of fun to to bring a bunch of uh dancers together and uh it's 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 built uh similar to a show of mine called Bears, which has a, a single speaker and then a chorus of dancers. And in this uh in this production those dancers are all mourners. And um yeah, people are responding very well to it. Very uh very very nice reviews. So
1: in fact, uh, just to to let people know, some of those reviews uh, here's what the New York Times says: smart, strange, and stirring in exactly the right ways. Nye Theater says profound. did I get that right. Nye Theater uh, yeah. and a revelation says the Montreal Gazette. Mm-hmm,
0: yeah, yeah. It uh, it existed as a as a solo show, and it's been done around the country uh, and in New York. And then this this sort of out of festival iteration is with yeah, I guess the full meal deal with with uh, the chorus and. All the bells and whistles. So it's been nice to really dig into it over the last couple of months.
1: So tell me about uh, how this how this came about. What what uh, what what spurred you on to to write this to begin with? And and um, you took it on the road as you say as a as a one man yeah. a one person show.
0: Yeah, I mean it came from a pretty dark place uh, initially. I uh, had gone through uh, it's one of the first plays I kind of wrote uh, about uh, the beginnings of it at least about ten twelve years ago. And I'd just gone through a heartbreak and uh, was kind of reeling from that and uh, just started to write a, a story about uh, someone who was, you know, by all, you know, anyone who would encounter him, they would see a normal guy. Uh, but then when you look closer, you see that he's contending with something, you know, uh, internally that he's he's having trouble shaking. And, and so uh, it evolved past my own, you know drama, um, because that wasn't too interesting. And, uh, (laughs) and it's sort of, uh, yeah, kind of morphed into a story about uh, complicated grief, and uh, how how people deal or or don't deal uh, with loss in their lives. Uh, And I think, you know, it it doesn't sound funny, but mostly to comedic effect in our show, uh, that this guy is making mountains out of molehills, the the whole show, you realize why at the end, and I Mm. think there's you know, there's 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 some meaning there for folks, but uh, it's it's primarily uh, a yeah, dark comedy. So.
1: OK, so here's another uh, comment from the Edmonton Journal. It says the particulars broke my heart and I didn't even see it coming.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that that speaks to folks come in and they're, they're witnessing this fellow who is very particular, a little OCD, mm. kind of going about his life in this, uh, yeah, comedic way. And I think we all know some some people in our lives who are a little bit like that, and uh, so you kind of think the show is one thing, and then you kind of learn why uh, this fellow Gordon is the way he is uh, because of something that occurred a few years before, and you realize, oh, this isn't this isn't just this guy. This is this guy after that, after this uh, loss that he's experienced, and so it sort of shifts. I don't know if it shifts the genre, mm-hmm. but uh, the laughs they still happen, but they're they're very different. And uh, it's neat in the sense that because people have sort of been laughing at him or with him, mostly at him, it kind of implicated uh, when you learn why he is the way he is. And then you're kind of, you know, hopefully kind of grabbed and, and along for the ride to the end. And
1: you mentioned about how this sort of evolved from a one man show and
0: yeah. you introduced the chorus. And it's the,
1: sort of this full production mm-hmm. sort of thing now. Um, when you mentioned genres, I, I was wondering, and you've also mentioned like OCD and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering with the the different elements that you've included because Mm -hmm. of this particularly uh, odd uh, that that those help emphasize those those elements.
0: Yeah, I sure hope so. I think the, the dance can really speak to, you know, I mean, things that words can't. Uh, you know, I just caught uh, Santee Smith's uh mm. Mm. At, at YPT. And, you know, there's hardly any words in that piece mm-hmm. uh, about, uh, you know, residential schools. But it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, I think dance. I'm not a dancer myself. I just hire a lot of them. <laughs> and, uh, and and there's just some magic in dance that yeah. uh, can speak to, you know, the beauty in life, but also the darkness uh, that, that uh, I think. Really complements the particulars in the sense that it's uh, it's kind of a one man epic. He's not got anyone else in his life, really. Um, but that doesn't mean that what he's contending with isn't like uh, you know an epic in his own mind. So so this sort of Greek chorus of mourners helps helps really make it that heightened. Mm. So here's something uh, a little more about what it, it says about uh,
1: the the particulars performed as a fusion of dance and theater. Gordon battles his invaders on two main fronts in his home where he believes he is dealing with vermin infestation and in his yard where insects have invaded his garden. By day, Gordon forges systematically ahead, assiduously in in control of every aspect of his life. But by night, the scratching which has begun to hear in the walls unraveling him, driving Gordon to the edge of cosmic desperation
0: Mm -hmm. yeah wow
1: um you know and going back to just to to um having just said that and going back to hear what some of the comments have been uh about the reviews and things um it 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 very much sounds like this is something people probably haven't seen in in this way before
0: yeah it seems to to hit people in a in a different way that's for sure um, I think, uh, the fact that there are so many laughs, um, but the, you know, at the end that the subject is so serious that it, it kind of breaks down people's defenses a bit. Okay. Um, and so, uh, so that if it was just a, a heavy, dark play about mm. loss and grief, oh, I think we'd have trouble getting anyone out. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that, you know, <laughs> things can be in at your darkest when you're kind of away from that a little bit, things can be pretty hilarious in hindsight, um, not always, but. <laughs> well, I guess
1: the other thing when you mention that, it's it's when we sometimes see things that reflect ourselves. Mm. Um, and you mentioned laughter. I thought, oh, what kind of laughter is that? Is it awkward laughter or is it, you know, a belly laugh? Is it, you know, or is it a combination of those things, right? Because laughter can come at odd times. Oh, yeah. Especially when we're feeling awkward.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something we've, because the actor who's playing uh, Gordon Simon Bracken, from Toronto here, he's played Gordon uh, in four different productions and we've done it where it's sort of uh, a little more, uh, we kind of go for the easy laughs and that was, uh, that helped us in the moments but it didn't really help us in the overall arc of the show. So we do kind of go for those awkward laughs like he doesn't really have comedic timing he's saying Mm. things that are funny Mm. uh, but it takes people a little bit to be like oh that was funny right. so the laughs are a little <laughs> delayed or awkward right or you'll have one person in the middle of the audience belly laugh and everyone's mm. deadly silent right uh so i like that awkward kind of
1: <laughs> that's interesting because it also speaks to the 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 um, personal touch because you get one person that's connecting right that yeah. connects with um yeah that's that's pretty cool so you mentioned one of the actors why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the actors and and the the stage crew and, and mm-hmm. those kind of things
0: yeah, I mean, uh, Simon Brackton's a fellow I went to school with uh, at the National Theatre School. And he's, uh, yeah, I believe everyone thinks the part was written for him because mm. he's, so, he's so perfect for it. Mm. So uh, he's, he's uh, yeah, he's definitely being uh, lauded by the critics. He's doing an amazing job. And then we've got uh, our choreographer, Alita Kendall. Uh, she was in my show, uh, Bears, mm. uh, if folks got that here in Toronto. And uh, we've wanted to work together for a while. And with the dance and the text, you really wanted time to to focus on the dance uh, and have a process there in the same way I do with the writing. And so uh, we were able to have like three workshops before an extended uh, rehearsal period. And that really allowed us to, yeah, to really play around with the dance. Um, because in Bears, the chorus of dancers, they'll become the, the little, literal world of the character. Uh, whereas in the particulars, they're very much the internal... Um, uh, kind of inner workings of this guy's mind so way less literal and that was way more challenging so we needed time to to kind of mine that mm. and so we've got yeah a, a chorus of amazing dancers um, seven of them hopefully I don't forget anyone there's uh, Becky Sadowski uh, Amber Brodsick St- Kate Stashko uh, Larry Bada from uh, Toronto here mm. uh, Richard Lee uh, Krista Lynn uh, I think that's seven so, yeah, we have an awesome team. Right. So um,
1: when were you able to take this from a one-man show and, and convert that into the full production?
0: Uh, just over this last year. we I'd wanted to for a number of years, but no one would give me enough money to hire that many people <laughs> for the show. Um, and then we had uh, Bears Went Well, mm. and it was sort of the show that we were able to demonstrate the I guess our special brand with the one speaker and a chorus of dancers, because mm. people would always say, "Well, why do you need a chorus of dancers? That just seems, you know, frivolous." And I'm saying, "Well, no, it's it's key to the to the story, um, uh, to bring it to a kind of a, another place." And so, uh, just this last year, we were really able to to integrate the dance and and uh, yeah, kind of realize what I'd always sort of dreamed it could be. So
1: great. Um, now, uh, we'll get back to that in a second, but you mentioned Bears a couple of times. Now, that mm-hmm. won a Doris.
0: Yeah, it won a couple Doris here uh, and uh, got a Critics Award, a National Playwriting yep. Award, and we've been able to take it on, I guess, two 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 and a half tours and uh, toured it uh, just this past summer uh, to a few more smaller communities. We've really wanted to, we've had success in the cities, big cities, but we've also really been keen to take it to indigenous communities and you know, we'll do it in a gym, and mm. we'll do it on a huge stage. It's nice. really kind of flexible. And, uh, yeah, it's been incredibly gratifying to take it into communities, indigenous communities in Alberta that normally get completely ignored by a touring productions. Right. So. Uh,
1: how long has Punctuate been around for?
0: Uh, Punctuate's been around for uh, just under 10 years, I believe. I just took over Punctuate uh, two years ago, and then we really shifted uh, really uh, to sort of dance, you know, cross-disciplinary and and uh, indigenous focused work and engaging a lot of uh, Indigenous artists in our work. So, uh, so yeah, there was a big, big shift a couple of years ago.
1: We'll talk a little bit more about Punctuate and may- maybe uh, pyretic Productions mm-hmm. a little bit later, but I want to come back and talk a little bit more about um, your, your stage crew and the, and the set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the set?
0: Yeah, I guess uh, it's, it, it's pretty a bear in a way you come in and it looks like a blank stage and there's just a backdrop of uh of this incredible um fabric uh but then we've got uh fans set up in such a way that uh, we can that that fabric is sort of morphing in a living kind of it's almost like Mm. a dancer with Mm. with the dancers and it shifts and the way it holds light it's also made of the same material Mm. that the chorus are wearing and Mm. they're wearing these veils and Look very dramatic, and we had to figure out how not to blind the chorus right. <laughs> with the lights. <laughs> that was a uh, that was touch and go. I think they're still somewhat blinded but because they're so good, they can somehow pull it <laughs> off. Um, and so, yeah, Allison Inoda did the uh, did the costume and set design, and uh, it's beautiful. And then um, the sound design, mm. uh, we worked with. Uh, uh, well, I I I primarily mind the sign, sound design myself, um, just because these are all this weird weird. Heavy classical tracks I was listening to mm. when uh, when I was writing the play and they just sort of fit, um, but then we've kind of messed with them so people don't necessarily recognize what they're hearing, but it mm. it's still uh, yeah it lives in the world. So so that some one reviewer described it as like bordering on parody because it's so dramatic and mm. what he's talking about is so oh, yeah. mundane, and that right. that was the idea. So right. it's nice that someone <laughs> recognized that.
1: Yeah, it is, and that's very clever though, and it sounds like a very uh, very Uh, a delicate balancing act that you had to pull off there
0: yeah yeah no I think uh with especially between the choreography and the text um like when when we do see it as a fusion we didn't want the dance to to sort of be you know uh secondary or decoration Mm. uh we wanted it to be fully integrated and uh you know you see stuff like mushol and that's sure inspiring on on what you can achieve without words at all, which is a strange thing for a playwright to say. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Matt, how long does it run for? Like, how long is it? You know, uh, well, we're start running start to finish.
0: Uh, it's a uh, it's runs uh, just over an hour. Okay, uh, and that's a pretty pretty dense hour. Um. <laughs> is there an intermission or is it uh, no yeah. no intermission? Yeah, okay. no intermission. So,
1: and this is the premiere? Is that
0: uh, this is the out of festival premiere? Yeah, So yeah. This is the full meal deal.
1: And then, uh, do you have do you have plans to take it on the road or?
0: Yeah, we'll pack up uh, after we close on the twenty sixth here, and then take it to Edmonton uh, next week. And uh, we have a two show run in Edmonton next week, uh, and then and then yeah, we'll see we'll see what's next. We've been touring a lot of our shows, so sort of present in this way, and then uh, and then try to sell the thing. So, yeah.
1: so listen, you, know, you you mentioned bears, and you you mentioned the success it had, and that allowed you to. Uh, I guess, uh, garner some more attention and and some maybe some sponsors and people that would like to invest in, in more of your productions and allow you to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that element of it? I mean, I, I know that, you know, uh, life in the artistic world is not an easy one mm-hmm. uh, for any artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to get a, a production off the ground, I'm sure, is a lot of A lot of work because let's face it, you know, um, when we see a production or, you know, I think it's like any any piece of art that we see, we Mm. see the finished piece. Yeah. yeah. It's like 10 percent of the actual 90 percent of it. We don't see right Yeah, yeah. behind the scenes. So so how much how much uh, how hard was that for you to, you know, to get all those pieces put together?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an enormous effort. And I think having having the team that we have uh, has allowed it to be. Uh, you know, pleasurable, but uh, we have also have the kind of added wrinkle that we're we're building our shows in Edmonton and then premiering them in Toronto, and uh, you know we were also working with Toronto a- actors and and dancers. Uh, but uh, I think that we've learned if we do a show in Edmonton, uh, that's great. We're based in Edmonton. We want to do work for our community, but oftentimes it just dies there. No one hears about it because we're pretty isolated. Uh, whereas when we come to Toronto, we can get um, you know more theater media um, at our opening than than I think is currently on on staff in Western Canada so it that's that makes Toronto special uh, to premiere work um, and then it it's it's nice insofar so far as then the the play has or the production has a life beyond just mm. the the premiere because the amount of effort you have to pour into you know having a 10 show run uh, it seems a bit absurd unless there is uh, a life after mm. that mm-hmm. So so yeah, no, it's, it's definitely exhausting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, now uh, you've taken your shows to New York. You do you get up to Ottawa much? We of course have listeners in Ottawa. As well.
0: Yeah. Well, we've 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 been we've we're keen to go to the NAC mm. if they'll have us one of these days. <laughs> um, but uh, but we haven't taken any of our work to mm. to Ottawa just yet. But uh, just mostly Toronto, Edmonton. We've been in Vancouver, Victoria and uh, and then small communities in Western Canada, so hopefully Ottawa one day.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially with the success you've had, maybe someone out there will be hearing this and uh, might have a connection or someone to get a hold of and yeah. say, hey, you got to check this That'd out be and, great. Uh, get these
0: guys out there. Yeah, I was there for a wedding in August. It was just stunning. It was like a, the day was just gorgeous, was like a travel Ottawa day. It was mm. just like, <laughs> I could oh, yeah. like, just have a camera going, and, yeah, mm-hmm. anyhow.
1: So listen um let's talk a little bit more about the other things that you you are involved with because I think it's really interesting that you know not only are you doing this but uh uh I know when when you started uh, pyretic and perhaps punctuate theater that you you bring on uh young emerging artists mm-hmm. that you mentor them and you you try to encourage the young as well.
0: Yeah, I I think uh you know Bears was our we were we've got an emerging Uh, artist Becky Sadowski uh, she's Métis uh, multidisciplinary artist from Edmonton she's in in the particular she was also in Bears and we had some uh, other emerging indigenous dancers in Bears and uh, it was I mean we learned a ton from them Mm. but they you know they've trained and danced their whole lives then they they get they, they graduate high school and and when you're in a place like Edmonton they think okay well I can't actually have a a career in this so they move on to other things but I think you know, we were able to hire them for big chunks of time and uh, introduce them to different communities in, in Canada. And so it's very cool to see uh, young young performers actually looking at this as a legitimate mm. um, pursuit because, uh, boy, oh, boy, do they ever have the talent. Uh, working with Sky Damas and Kendra Shorter and, yeah, just awesome, awesome dancers. It's strange to think they're young, so you call them emerging, but, mm. but they're sure good. Mm. <laughs> Well,
1: we all have to start somewhere right yeah. <laughs> um so listen, the other thing I wanted to ask you was I- in putting on a production, just go back to this for a minute because you mentioned artists, performers, but uh like yourself uh you you've taken on the role of putting something together mm-hmm. that's a whole other side of things, the business side mm-hmm. of things because you have to find the money, you have to find a place to put this on mm-hmm. you get you know you've got to do all of those things so for people that are thinking, you know might be listening to this and mm-hmm. thinking. Hey, maybe I want to do this one day, or or maybe they're in the place where they ha- they have been performing and they say they want to move on and, yeah. and, and uh, spread their wings onto other things what would you what would advice would you give to people that are that are looking to perhaps do something like that maybe they want to start their own company
0: yeah i mean i would I would definitely encourage it um, you know with bears, no one thought it was even a play when I was sending it around. Uh, people were not interested in programming it we couldn't get it into. Little festivals, and then finally Theater Center, you know, was like, "Oh no, we want to mm. get behind this," and then it took off. Mm. Uh, so if I hadn't built that myself, it never would have happened, and I might be questioning whether I'm even a playwright mm-hmm. right now. Uh, but I think especially for Indigenous artists uh, to to be self producing is uh, it gives you a lot of agency. Mm. Uh, and right now, there's a real, you know, there's it's a positive thing that there's a push to have more Indig content, engage more Indigenous artists. But if you're always doing that uh, in settler-run institutions, uh, you know that can be good. But definitely, you want to be building yourself up as an artist, and not just uh, getting a, a sweet gig or uh, getting one play done. You want to be building up yourself as an artist or or your company so that you can you can continue to roll with any idea you have. Or you know, in my case, very fortunate to be able to engage uh, other indigenous artists. Like that's 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 mm. such a gift. Um, and then. And then we're, right now punctuates attracting uh, other indigenous creators who they've been approached by many companies to work on stuff. And but they're they're hesitant because they feel that they're being approached because they're indigenous. And then when they say, OK, I've got this this play idea and I want to write about these two guys and an abusive relationship. And, the you know, the the feedback is like, that's great, but they're both indigenous. Right. And 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 so like we we want to support indigenous creators, but we don't want to we don't we don't want to dictate the subjects they write about. They can write about whatever they they right. so please, um, and uh, yeah. So I think for me at least, building my own company has been essential to having any success as an artist. And now you know, I don't, I don't send my plays out to be read. Like I, I don't, I don't need that. I, you know, I'll sell a production, but I don't mm. need someone to tell me whether a play is good enough to get done. Right, I can decide that. Right. <laughs> Uh, hopefully
1: (laughs) yeah and now so the other the other side of that is though when you're doing that you do need a a a bigger skill set right Mm -hmm. Uh, because there is that business side of things you Mm -hmm. have to look after those is there any advice or what kind of skills would you say people need if they're going to start that on their own
0: well i think grant writing is huge Mm. and i think uh you know the canada council has shifted in a very positive way and they've been a huge you know reason why we've been able to uh, grow in the way we have in the last couple of years. And I think there's some really special grant officers working with the Canada Council right now. And people forget sometimes, I, I used to see them as gatekeepers, mm. but they're there to a- answer your questions and to, if you've got a good idea and you're passionate, they're there to help you find funding. And so encourage people to actually talk directly to, mm. to grant officers because that, that's, that's been enormously beneficial for me. Um, but I know I, I avoided that like the plague, uh, in the past cause I thought that they were like the man. You right. Know, so, <laughs> and, and I suppose, I mean, that
1: role of gatekeeper is also a valid one. They do have to uh, filter things. They do. have. Oh to yeah. It, right? so, yeah. No, by all means. So, so uh, they got to pick and choose or at least, uh, look at those and say, yeah, this, this it hits the marks. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what they're looking for cause they, because if they, for instance, started funding unsuccessful projects, mm-hmm. uh, then that wouldn't bode that well. That wouldn't for, look what, good, yeah. no. And then they probably would have their own issues with trying to get further oh, funding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it <laughs> would be a <laughs> disaster. So, yeah, you have to look at that, right? It's yeah. a different perspective when you're looking at those things. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, when they go into this, uh, they only think of it from their own perspective. Mm-hmm. You broaden that look and say, what's the bigger picture here? Yeah. It allows you to look at things completely differently.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think with with the granting is if if there's an artist who's who's written a piece and there's a company who's interested in producing it, uh, there in all likelihood that piece then actually could get you grants. Mm. And my experience has been, if you allow someone else to produce your work, that's a positive, but you're going to make like a fraction of what you'd make if you produced it yourself. So mm. if you've, mm-hmm. if you've got that passion and you've got that drive. If you have the passion to write a play, you probably have. Uh, the the energy and the wherewithal to produce it. That's
1: right, because you have to be uh, self-motivating,
0: for sure. Matt, it's been great having you on the show once again,
1: and uh, congratulations on the success you've had with your productions. And uh, we've been talking with uh, Matt McKenzie. His show, The Particulars, is running at a theater center located at 1115 Queen Street West until October 26th. So you can catch that, and you can actually get tickets by going online to www.theatercenter.org mm-hmm. and you can uh, check that play out and uh maybe uh you'll be able to post your own review uh alongside to some of these other great reviews that your show has been getting. Yeah. Um so Matt uh any final words what what would you like people to come away with from this production?
0: Uh I think just that if you are contending with something on your own to know that you're that you're not alone uh and that uh And that, you know, at the darkest of times, that things can be pretty funny. Mm. (laughs) And we need to laugh at ourselves,
1: I guess. Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, Matt McKenzie, it's been a pleasure having you here. And we look forward to uh, having you back in. I'm looking forward to checking the play out. And uh, you are listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. Please don't go away because we will be right back after this with more. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you're listening to Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. My second guest on the show today is Victor Armory. He's a professor at the Université de Québec in Montréal and in the Department of Sociology. Victor is one of the authors of a recent study that found black and indigenous people four to five times more likely to be stopped by Montreal police then whites uh, victor welcome to the show bienvenue
2: oh uh, thank you for having me
1: it's uh it's a pleasure uh victor um, I know this was uh, this this um, uh, study was commissioned um, uh, by the uh, the police is that correct
2: well actually oh, the city the, of
1: Montreal the, pardon me the
2: city of montreal yes actually uh uh, about a year and a half ago, the um, the city of Montreal uh, gave a mandate to the well, actually uh, uh, required the police department of Montreal to uh, seek uh, independent researchers uh, in order to uh, develop a study on their stats uh, regarding uh, you know uh, stops uh, and under uh, you know the the the. the and the fact that there's a disproportion in terms of, uh, you know, some some groups uh, in the population compared to the white majority.
1: And you were you were one of the people approached for this, and you were exactly, joined
2: exactly. Yeah, I've been working for a while with, you know, um, uh, quantitative analysis of differences between, you know, uh, the white majority and, and uh, racialized groups uh, here in Quebec. Uh, mostly in terms of uh, economic uh, gaps, but uh, this was an opportunity for me to uh take a look at uh, 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 police uh, data and actually, it was uh, really uh, interesting to find that uh, the trends that were you know uh, denounced and described by many people you know because there 's been a uh, comments and, and complaints about uh, racial profiling uh, by the police of Montreal since uh, at least uh, 10 years ago. But this is a time where we have hard data to uh, uh, prove uh, that, that that's happening, that the police of Montreal are actually having a, a strong systemic bias towards uh, some groups, notably uh, the black community and, and indigenous people.
1: Mm. Now, you worked alongside of a couple of other people uh, on this uh Yes you worked with a uh, criminologist uh, Massimiliano Malone, exactly
2: I think? yes, and with another sociologist, a colleague of mine uh, Ma- mariam uh, mariam uh, Asawi. Mm-hmm. uh and yeah, the three of us worked uh, for uh, many months uh, almost a year on, on 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 this, and the results uh, were as i said uh, they were not surprising if uh, for those of us who were following what was happening with the police in Montreal since, uh, the, you know, during the last years. But uh, the, the police chief uh, said he was shocked, uh, like surprised, and uh, he didn't expect that, which was surprising to many people because, mm. uh, again, uh, that's, uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's a problem that, that uh, uh, many, many people uh, uh, see as, 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 as quite important uh, in Montreal.
1: Yeah. Now, what uh, can you talk a little bit about the findings? What were the discrepancies in the numbers that you found?
2: Yeah, well, uh, we saw uh, actually uh, uh, three uh, important uh, trends. One of them regards the the black population, people uh, who are stopped by the police uh, uh, four times. They're four times more likely to be stopped by the police. Uh, And I I have to say that this is uh, checks or stops that do not end up uh, with an arrest, yeah. so it 's just you know the police stopping someone, asking for ID uh, entering the the data into the the computer system, and then letting the person go without any any ticket or anything so so we 're talking about a very uh, disproportionate number of 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 times where this happens with uh, black people and actually uh, we checked uh, to see whether that was you know confined to uh, certain neighborhoods or or some sort of you know uh, context and actually uh, black uh, persons are really stopped by the police almost everywhere in the city all the time, all the groups you know by age by uh, gender so that was one of the findings. The second one was regarding uh, aboriginal uh, individuals, uh, men and women, but actually there was a strong difference uh between uh, uh, based on gender and actually we saw that uh aboriginal women are 11 times more likely to be stopped by the police than uh, white women so that was uh, one of the things that you know were really i mean I, I, we were uh, truly surprised because we know we knew that there was a bias against uh, this particular population but uh, we never expected it to be so so uh, high in terms of you know the statistical difference
1: mm. And and of course, uh, your study also looked at other uh, minorities. And and,
2: exactly, yeah, Yeah, we saw. Yeah, the third thing was, uh, which is quite uh, maybe specific to Montreal when you compare to uh, other cities in Canada, is we have a large, uh, you know, uh, Arab uh, population, uh, and uh, actually, um, Arab individuals are also uh, more frequently targeted by the police, not as much. As uh, uh, black individuals or Aboriginal individuals, but uh, they're, <clears throat> in general terms, two times more likely to be stopped by, uh, than than white people. And uh, but the one thing, two things regarding the, the the Arab population here in Montreal that um, uh, you know uh, capture our attention is one, uh, their uh, part in the uh, stops have been increasing. Uh, since the last few years, so they're becoming a target, a new target, if you will, for the police of Montreal. And the other thing is that they are targeted uh, mostly in terms of uh, their youth. So uh, younger uh, Arab individuals uh, from uh, 14 to 25 years old. They are also they are that group is four times more likely to be stopped by the police of Montreal than the same group uh, within the uh, Right majority, mm.
1: and, and again, uh, you've got Latinos listed, South Asian, East Asian.
2: Yes, uh, we also yeah, we use uh, the 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 same categories that the police of Montreal uses to uh, describe <clears throat> uh, individuals when they they uh, register the the stop in their system. And uh, we saw some uh, discrepancies as well in terms of of those groups, uh, South uh, Asian and uh, East Asian individuals. But that was not really as uh, pronounced as as the other groups. I I was also, I also looked into, uh, we we looked into um, Latino or Hispanic individuals and they, their youth uh, also is twice as targeted as uh, as as white uh, younger people. So again, most uh, groups and uh, in some in some uh, uh, cases, uh, mostly their youth, are uh, disproportionately uh, targeted by the, the the Montreal police. So again, I mean. The, the systemic bias, I think, uh, it's uh, it's proven uh, by uh, this data, and uh, now uh, we, we are actually, you know, uh, happy to see that the, the the city of Montreal and the police of Montreal have uh, said that they will act uh, and uh, immediately and take action in terms of, uh, you know, trying to uh, counter these uh, these obvious uh, biases.
1: And, and you made some recommendations.
2: Yeah, actually, one of them is to, uh, you know, the police of Montreal, uh, it's, it's not the only police in, in Canada, but uh, it's one of the few in, in the major cities that doesn't have uh, a clear policy about uh, police checks or police stops. That is, uh, a police officer can stop you in the street and uh, he or she doesn't really need to have a, a strong uh, motive or or they will just, you know, uh, say that this is part of an investigation or they're just, you know, uh, uh, randomly uh, trying to gather uh, data on the population. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, arbitrary uh, decisions that are made because there's no guidelines or protocols uh, put in place. So the Police of Montreal has said that they will very quickly put in pla- place a, uh, a sort of, a, you know, uh, framework. So uh, police officers are more, you know, uh they, they 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 are guided and they are more constrained in terms of what they can and cannot do uh just uh you know seeing someone walking on the street
1: Yeah like you just said uh, it sounds like these decisions are made very much on, on appearance alone just
2: uh, Exactly alone. yes 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 and the other recommendations go you know uh, of course uh, to the to the training uh, aspect of their of their work uh, so uh uh, that's obviously something that it's already done to a certain measure but uh we think that they have to really uh put in place uh, a, a a better understanding uh of uh implicit bias uh, that is people officers who are not you know uh, consciously or 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 willingly you know uh, racist mm. but they will act on implicit bias the fact that they think that a uh, uh, an Arab, uh, uh, younger person walking in a specific neighborhood at a specific uh, time of the day or the night, uh, is uh, is a suspect uh, because uh, he might be uh, connected to a, to a to a gang or something like that. So uh, we've seen uh, that they jump to conclusions, and uh, of course, uh, again, we we uh, the police need to work on that, and, and also, you know, there's uh, if they have to consider. The, the very particular situation of the, the Aboriginal uh, uh, people who are in Montreal in many cases, uh, either uh, in a context of uh, homelessness or they are really targeted by, by, you know, uh, structural racism, not only in terms of the police, but uh, mostly, you know, mainly also even by, 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 by the people themselves who will call the police on them. Mm. Uh, and uh so, so this is a reality uh, that is not. I, I think in Montreal, uh, there is not that you know well understood the fact that there is you know uh, they're not just. I mean, they, they people in Montreal, uh, particularly the, the white majority, will tend to think of uh, people who are different as people who are immigrants or people who are just uh, you know coming to the country, which is of course not true uh, for many many of the of the. Members of the racialized communities, mm. uh, but regarding the the, the indigenous uh, 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 individuals uh, uh, in, in in particular places uh, in in the city of Montreal, uh, they live in a in a context where a police should not only you know not target them disproportionately uh, and giving them tickets and things like that, but they, the city of Montreal should work in a better approach uh, to. Uh, their situation, and again, as I said, particularly regarding uh women.
1: Mm. Now, when your study was done, it was done from 2014 to 2017. Yeah. And yes. um, when, when this was completed and you handed it back over to the city, and then it was, of course, forwarded to the uh the police chief, uh, Sylvian yeah. Kiran, uh, he saw it. He, he, as you mentioned, was surprised by the results, yeah. but he also uh, I guess, in, a, in an encouraging way, he reached out to you, to you. I believe to say we would like you to come back for a second mandate to follow up on this.
2: Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, they. Uh, we uh, again, my colleagues and our are uh, quite, uh, uh, you know, uh, happy with uh, with the way uh, in which uh, the, the the police service uh, department. Um, uh, collaborated with us. I mean, they, they didn't have a choice in terms of, uh, you know, it was uh, required by the city, but they were quite open uh, in terms of giving us access to all the data we asked for. And, uh, and now they're saying that they, because we wanted uh, uh, not only uh, to work on, 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 on data from their system, uh, you know, of, uh, with, 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 uh, with a stati- statistical approach, but we wanted also to uh, to develop a more, Qualitative um, uh, research uh, going to the uh, the um, the the to 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 talk with police officers and to talk with the the people who are uh, who are targeted by uh, by stops, and uh, so to have a better understanding and a better context of how that that the any stop develops and uh, what can be done in terms of a you know better. Uh, giving it a uh, as i said a framework and and guidelines, so you know each one uh, during the interaction with the police for instance the the police officers need to be understanding of what's happening on their side, and the 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 citizen needs also to be aware of uh, their rights and their what well, they can refuse for instance to uh, to comply or not in terms of giving the their uh, identification so um all of that uh, the police said, yes, we will work with you. Uh, next year, and we will try to get to the bottom of this so mm. so the the response was very positive compared to other uh, times in the past where the police was very very close minded uh, uh when 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 complaints or, or 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 some analysis would show that they were actually uh doing uh racial profiling mm. Yeah,
1: you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. My guest is Victor Armory and he is a professor at the University of Quebec in Montréal in the Department of Sociology. He is uh, one of the people that uh, undertook a, a study uh, to look at, uh, I guess, the, the, the street checks that police were doing in Montreal from 2014 to 2017. Uh, they came back with recommendations and a report to the city of Montreal. It was uh, forwarded to the... Uh, Chief of Police, uh, Sylvian Canon, and uh, then uh, who have now uh, gone on to say they're going to make recommendations and implement certain things. But now uh, uh, Victor and uh, his, his partners have been given the second mandate to look uh, at why people have been stopped, more invisible minorities than, than white people. Uh, uh, Victor, what do you think that, that the police and the city can learn from that information?
2: Uh, i think the, the the first uh it's the first step towards uh changing uh an institution an organization which is obviously not uh, easily done i i think we're in a moment uh i would say uh in canada uh where when we uh, uh, main uh, people and, and and governments uh the municipal level in and, and police departments as well are uh, you know, uh, getting to understand that this is a real problem. And uh, we see that in, of course, in Toronto. We've seen some studies in, in Ottawa and some changes there or in, in Halifax, in Vancouver, Edmonton, uh, et cetera. That is, uh, Montreal is getting, I would say, a bit late uh, to that uh, train towards, you know, uh, addressing uh, systemic biases uh, in police and in other you know, uh, spheres of of, of of social life. Uh, I, I think here in in Quebec, we have a a more difficult time uh, seeing that uh, our institutions, our organizations, our public uh, administration is in a way um, unfair. Sometimes I would say even often towards. Uh, people who are, who do not belong to the to the you know the the, the 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 French Canadian majority or even the English Canadian minority uh which which you know together form what we could call you know the the white majority in in this province and in the country so i i i think there's there's real change going on but uh it'll be a difficult process and uh there'll be lots of you know political uh, issues and, and aspects to it. So um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm moderately optimistic, uh, uh, but I, I, I see something, you know, uh, that's uh, that's uh, truly changing compared to uh, what you would have seen five years or ten years here in Montreal and uh, yeah. and, and in Quebec. Uh, meaning that also even other other police departments in Quebec are trying to uh, uh, see what's happening in their own. Uh, uh cities and and villages uh this is uh, montreal is the first place in 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 the province here uh that has done this but uh i know for a fact that other you know uh uh in in the suburbs of montreal they also have a tremendous problems of 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 racial profiling and i think they will start you know getting to that uh, as well
1: Mm. Uh, you use the term racial profiling. Uh, the other, the other R word that comes to mind, of course, and you, yeah. you kind of alluded to this in terms yeah. of uh, that, that. Perhaps the, the, the Quebec has some difficulty in 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 looking at that.
2: Yes, yes. Actually, uh, even uh, uh, we, we we didn't want. Uh, I mean, uh, this is a complicated issue. I mean, we we didn't say uh, our report, and we don't think that we have the the data or the, the 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 proof that we can you know actually uh say the police of Montreal uh is racist mm-hmm. or is uh you know actively uh, you know uh doing uh, racial profiling or racial discrimination we saw systemic bias which is very clear it's uh, i mean uh, it's it's there as a fact now mm-hmm. uh, in Quebec uh everything uh that you uh Put out in terms of uh, you know in, in public discourse as referring to a racism or discrimination uh, at the societal level, you will get a very strong you know uh, pushback from many many people who will uh, you know you know in Quebec we know I mean we can talk about that in Quebec we have a sort of a collectively a sort of a very sensitive uh, you know. Uh, attitude towards uh, being singled out as a more racist or xenophobic or, mm. you know, uh, society, compared to their so kind of, There's always this, you know, hanging you know accusation that uh quebec is different and that's uh that's not a good difference because we're we don't you know get uh along as well as minor with minorities as uh, for instance uh, montreal compared to toronto which is i mean deb- debatable and there are many things that go there you know uh, there's no perfect place in canada either no mm. but but it is true that the moment you talk about systemic uh, discrimination or systemic bias or systemic racism in in Quebec, you will have a very strong reaction from public opinion and from the media, francophone media, who will say, "Well, now again, this is uh, you know uh, another uh, you know occurrence of a uh, Quebec bashing. You're saying that we are racist and this and that." So you have to, uh, you know in terms of the, the terminology, the, the the words, the vocabulary that you will use to uh, to get uh to, so, so in order for your message to uh to get true. So, so that was one of our, of our that was one of our concerns uh writing uh, the report. We wanted to use a very, very neutral scientific uh, vocabulary so uh people would get to their own conclusions. You read our report, you see our data and many people will say, well, that's proof of uh, of racial profiling and, and mm-hmm. actually organizational racism. But we're not saying that. We're saying this, this is the, that data. You can, you know, get to say that uh, some people will say, well, not exactly because we don't know uh, if the police does that willingly or some sort of, you know, an effect of how the any police uh, works uh, which might be to a certain to a certain extent true i mean the fact that police men and women are almost required it's in their job description to prevent crime and to jump to conclusions because they have to decide very quickly either you know you and me are are, are suspects or potential you know people of interest for them so when they, they jump to conclusions and and they decide that, that might be a problem, or that might uh, require my intervention or my my you know a, a, or my uh, surveillance or my uh, anything uh, they will uh, use their implicit biases because they they, they go quickly to decide okay that that might be a problem I have to uh, you know intercept the car or 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 talk to that person and uh, so uh, in a way, the pressure of their job might make them uh you know m- take the wrong uh you know uh turns and decide uh, wrongly that one person is more suspicious or uh, mm-hmm. i mean uh, more uh, um, guilty uh, or, or potentially guilty than another because of the color of their skin
1: yeah uh, victor a couple things come to mind there when you were you were speaking one is um you know as as a, a person uh, of of indigenous ancestry I I can somehow uh, relate to, I think to some some of that thinking that you refer to. It, you know, uh, Quebec is in is inside a larger uh, a larger uh country um, that perhaps Quebec sees themselves as a minority themselves, and yeah. and so uh, has some some desire for wanting to protect their their culture and and yeah. their language, et cetera, et cetera. That, yeah. is, that is a kind of ironic in, 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 in a way uh, to yeah. me because I can definitely see that with other Indigenous uh, and other minorities that would also mm. want to protect and have that control. Uh, and that is, of course, something we, we know that uh, Canada has not done for Indigenous people. Exactly, yes. And so, you know, I, I think that there is a, there's a definite uh, 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 element of understanding with with that on many fronts in in the indigenous front, and I, I imagine uh, with other other uh, other people from minorities as well about that. So uh, yeah. I think we can relate uh, to Quebec uh, and, and Quebec with with them on that. I, I was yeah. also uh, does that make some sense to you?
2: Uh, sorry,
1: does that make some sense to you?
2: Oh yeah, definitely yes. Uh, I I I myself being a uh, you know an immigrant from from South America here in Quebec. Mm. The notion that you know uh, actually uh, differences between uh, groups uh, should not be uh, you know the the basis of of discrimination or or unfair distribution of of, 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 of whatever resources uh, you know material or, or symbolic. I mean the recognition, uh, prestige, social status. I mean we live in um, I mean in in Quebec. I th- I, I think there's I, I, I like to think that there's a growing understanding of the fact that uh majority and minority uh not only should uh, coexist but also you know take into consideration the fact that uh the majority uh sometimes uh, unwillingly will impose unfair uh, conditions on minorities. And the understand that if you are as a minority or a majority depending on their context uh, you need to be uh, responsible about you know the the unfair or unjust uh, relationships that you're uh into uh that might you know help out you know uh, getting out of, of of a context where uh either people feel accused of being racist and they will reject any mm. any any change or on the other hand you know uh just uh you know enjoying their privileges. Without understanding that uh, those privileges are usually based on the fact that other people have less than they do,
1: hmm. uh, Victor, we have to wrap things up and want to thank you once again for coming on the program. I have two quick questions for you. I hope yeah. one is uh, your second mandate. When uh, when will that that information become uh, available?
2: Uh, we will start working on our, uh, early uh, twenty twenty. So uh, I think uh, for you know next summer we should have a. Uh, the the you know maybe uh, uh, the the second report
1: okay and and lastly you mentioned that Montreal the city of Montreal was the first uh, the first city to to do something like this but you mentioned yeah. the suburbs and the areas uh, and all the the other uh, communities outside and around the province yeah uh, I'm just wondering would you say that that this would have impact though on those communities uh, once Montreal has uh, started to implement these things.
2: I I think so. Yes, Montreal will I, I think will lead uh, in, in the province, and uh, will make uh, uh, you know the uh, police departments are very very uh, they they really don't like when uh, uh, an independent you know an external researcher comes and looks into their data and then says that they are doing their job you know in a in a poorly in terms of you know uh, fairness and justice towards the minorities. So the fact that Montreal has done that you know job and, uh, and accepted the results, I think that will, you know, uh, put other police departments in the province uh, in a situation where they will, ha- will, they will need to do that, and that will, will be, you know, asked by politicians and, uh, I think, public opinion.
1: Mm, okay. Victor, we'll have to leave it there, but once again, uh, merci beaucoup for joining us on the show. It's been a pleasure having you, and we appreciate you taking the time to do so.
2: It's been my pleasure.
1: And that was Victor Armory. He is a professor at the Université de Québec in Montréal, and, and you'll have to pardon my French if I'm butchering it, but uh, and he also works in the Department of Sociology. It's been our pleasure to have him. He was one of uh, three people working on a study uh, that found black and indigenous people four to five times more likely to be stopped by police in the city of Montreal than whites. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to tune in next time right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. Onegihya.